Erotic, erotic, erotic. Hey. Erotic, erotic, erotic. Hey. Erotic, erotic, erotic. Hey. Erotic. All right, all right. We are back with another episode of Erotic Embodiment. And today I'm super excited to be talking to my new friends. New friends, go ahead and introduce yourself to the people so they know who you are. Okay, so hello. Uh, my name is Jordan Edwards. I am the center director at the Normal Anomaly Initiative. I am Joelle Eskew. I am director of programming at the Normal Anomaly. Okay, so I met Joelle and Jordan. I'm super excited to be talking to y'all. How did I meet y'all? Okay, so me and Vernon, shout out to Vernon of Mahogany Project. Me and Vernon did the BEAM program together. Mm-hmm. So I started following Vernon online and we was just like DMing and stuff. And then I moved to Houston and I saw that Joel gave, jo- Joel, you gave Jordan this award. I did. I did. I gave Jordan an award. It was a Rising Phoenix Award. Yeah. It was a, it was a surprise. I exactly. knew. And I had to like plot and like plan and get Jordan there. So I had to do all this sneaking and scheming, which was very hard. I was just about to say, because I was watching the video and I was like, I wonder why she thought it was so hard. I was like, but then I see y'all at the bookstore and I'm like, no, these people are always together. Yeah. So Joelle is trying to keep a major secret and y'all do like all the things together. We do. And it was very hard to keep the secret. It was like insanely hard. Like I had to get the award, I had to, I had it with me, and we're always together. So it was a very and I like we like messed up. I think that somebody even commented when we were on the live stream about Jordan getting the award before Jordan had got it. So I yeah, no, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. <laughs> okay, and so I saw the work that y'all were doing online and I was like, oh my gosh. I'm in Houston. I really hope I get to work with them in some capacity. You two come to Kendra's Stories. Shout out to Kendra's Stories. And I'm like, oh my God, it's y'all. Now keep in mind. <laughs> I had literally seen at Target. I had seen Joel. I'd seen you at Target. I was like, yo, I think, I think I know her, but like, where do I know her from? Then you came to the store and it all made sense. So y'all came into the bookstore and I was like, oh my gosh, we have to do something. And I kind of do community programming at Kendra's Stories. And so we got to talking and we got to talking about date night. Mm-hmm. Um, but Joelle and Jordan, I don't know if you know, but years ago, I used to have this podcast. Well, not years, but a couple of years ago, I had a podcast called We Making It. And it is now transitioned into erotic embodiment. And after seeing the work that y'all do, uh, facilitating alongside you all, I was like, this is erotic embodiment. So we have to talk. Of course, of course. I can't wait. Yes. So first things first, how are you feeling? You just put on a festival. We did. We put on Houston's first Black queer, and I believe Texas's first Black queer music festival, ran completely by Black Black queer people. How are you? We're going to start with the baseline. How are you feeling? Because that was Um, the weekend. After this festival, I think that creating that space and also being intertwined with the space and the workings of it and also more of a patron of it, 
it felt good to see people coming from all different areas, not just from Houston, Texas. We had people who drove four hours, five hours just to get to the festival. And I think that that made it even better. And seeing people from the homeless community, um, we have local um, shelters here in Houston that um, house individuals from the age of 18 to 24. And one of those actual clients coming to the festival, not even being really a part of the um, queer demographic, but just wanting to be in space with people that they knew. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. 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 I, um, you'll have to ask me in like a week or two because yes. I think I'm still in post-festival yeah. mode. Yeah. So we're still like wrapping up. We're still doing interviews. We're still like in the midst of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the short answer is that creating the space that I've been looking for and in, in seeking in community was nothing short of amazing. Yeah. Um, seeing the, the spectrum and the diversity that is our community. Um, when for the longest time, I didn't even think that it would be possible to, to experience the spectrum like we experienced it on Saturday. And that was just the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I mean, I was literally ripping and running the whole, the whole day. So I didn't even really get to experience it, but it was beautiful. Just the community, the black queer businesses that were launched, the vendors, just people, you know, saying that they never, they didn't even know that anything like this existed. They didn't even know that community like that existed. It was a really, it was a really beautiful experience. And for those who are listening, the purpose of this conversation is actually to talk about date night, but <laughs> we're going to get into that. <laughs> we're going to go backwards first. So I know where y'all are from. Can y'all let the people know where y'all are from? It, it, like originally and individually. Yes. And how long so are you in Houston? I am born and raised in Houston, which people sometimes say that they can hear it in my voice and the way that I speak, but I'm born and raised in Houston, Texas, um, south side of Houston. Um, I the, south side. the south side of Houston is, a, is basically another uh, municipality. Yeah. It is. It is. Are we talking about the Clark? Are we talking about Mo City? What are we talking uh, about? Herm Clark. Murder Man of Texas, if you want to get down to the 3800 block. I don't, I don't, know. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I um I was born in Germany. I live, my parents are, the, my parents were, both of my parents were from the army or they were in the army. So I was born in Wurzburg, Germany. Um, I've lived in Newport News, Virginia. I've lived with family in St. Louis. Um, I've lived in LA. I consider LA outside of Houston. I consider LA my home. Okay. So... I've lived in Houston about, it'll be five years in October. And talk to me a little bit then about, because I grew up here, but I think y'all are a little bit older than me. Not by much, but just like a couple of years. And Jordan's is from the South Side. Joy mm -hmm. grew up here. I'm a North Side girl. And I know people are always like, Katie, why do you bring that up? It does shift. It, it, it does. It does. It does. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about your experience as a Black queer person entering Houston and maybe what you loved, but also what you really wanted to create more space for. Um, for me, um, it's interesting because 
coming from LA, LA is a city that is very queer. It's very open as far as the queer experience and spectrum, but there is a severe lack of blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say anti-black, but it's very close, very, very close to anti-black. So coming to Houston for me, it was beautiful to experience the spectrum of blackness that I've never experienced, Um, especially when we're talking about the intersection of black and queer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that being in the South, Houston is probably like 10, maybe maybe more years behind when we're talking about um, just the advancement of just society and just when we're talking about lifestyle and leisure and how people live and love and just are and exist um I think that the south overall is behind I would say that Houston is probably at least like 10 15 years behind so coming from LA to Houston which Houston is inside a a big city but it operates like a small city it operates very much like a town or a very very small city in the ways that like for instance like public transportation is it's not a commuter or it's not a metropolitan like walkable city um and even just the way that people think like it's very much rooted in this southern small city town mentality yeah 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 and i think for me um Growing up on the South Side, it was a little more of a phobia would be the word that I would use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, fear for my life, fear for my identity causing me harm inside of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that going through the school system, going through um, when teachers even um, popping you or hitting you based off of certain things as far as who you are, um, telling you to man up um, and things like that. So those types of teachings within my masculinity, defining me as a man, then separated how I moved and how I talked because then it was like, oh, I'm not gay. I just fuck around with guys. I'm sorry, I don't wanna fucking curse. Oh, I can, uh, we curse. We're just so, starting, uh, so I ain't really just slipped up yet, but okay. it's, just it's good for your digestion. Go for so it. So I think that that was a piece and it was not that because that is the truth because I do I am sexually fluid so therefore I do um, have sex with the spectrum so saying that I was gay put me in a box saying that this was it and so that we didn't have that language and so as I grow up grew up I got to see the language and learn have more um, be able to have those conversations that were needed because there were a lot of men that were having sex and doing things with men so growing up in that space around being a part of the LGBT community in that space, it was just, we didn't have the language to discuss it. And what was told to us was also a, a form of oppression to keep us down, to keep us quiet. Because being, just speaking frankly, being black, you can't be a certain type of way in the community because then they see that as a sign of weakness and we have to be so strong for our people. And I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. Joel, you mentioned anti-black in LA mm-hmm. uh, and it being super close. Can you, because I don't know if I know what that looks like. And so I'm assuming if I don't know what it looks like, somebody else listening might know what it looks like or may not know what it looks like. What what are some like telltale signs of like, oh yes, this city is anti-Black or versus this city is like getting there versus this city is just very pro-Black. What does that look like in like your day-to-day? I think it's a a great question to ask. Um, I think one of the defining characteristics is when a place 
or city does not recognize race. Like, it's like, we are all one. We are all equal. You're, you know, it's very rooted in individualism and individualism is, uh, it is a component of patriarchy, of, of cis hetero, hetero patriarchy. It's that thought of, we are not a community. We are not together. You are by yourself. You're in it by yourself. You're in it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, being, marginalized being from the black community being from the black queer community we are all about community we are all about you know being together and i think that in a city like la it's very much very individualistic which is great i think when we're talking about queerness and experiencing your queerness and just being kind of able to be um it's beautiful in that aspect but when we're talking about blackness um, a city like LA does not embrace that. It, it's very much like, well, you know, you're you're on your own and you kind of just do your own thing. Um, in a city like LA, where when they do talk about minorities, Latin is the the premier minority. Mm-hmm. You know, they uplift the Latin community. Um, the Latin community is very much celebrated in LA, but we never hear about the black community celebrated as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of things like that. I think of, of things such as even our culture, our music is not celebrated. There are many places in LA that don't even play rap, hip hop music at all, like at all. They will shut a party or club down if they even play rap or hip hop. I've even seen clubs have letters that they have in emails in, in messages that they've sent to DJs and said, if you play this song or if you play any of these artists or if you play the music at a certain speed, we will shut this down. You will not get paid. And they openly say that, like they openly say. And it's always rap or hip hop. Oh my gosh. I can't even as, you know, as a, I would say, what would I call myself? As a primetime ass thrower. That's me. I feel like mm-hmm. I'm prime time ass throw. I'm just like, so what are we gonna do at the club if we're not gonna throw ass? What are we gonna do? Just stand around and look at each other? Pretty much. <laughs> I can do that at home. <laughs> you know, I think they um they they would have nights. They would have like hip hop rooms. Um, but like when we're talking about just a an open celebration of our culture and our music, LA didn't have it. Yeah. And then Jordan, it sounds like too with Houston, while there is this, and I do feel this way about Houston. I I just remember doing shit like going to block parties. I remember like my dance teacher, shout out to Lockwood Skatering. I've talked to y'all about Lockwood Skatering. So my dance teacher, I don't know how they did it, but she would, we would have little school functions at the skatering. And it would be like my mama and all the other people's mamas and we would perform at the skating ring. Or I remember like, I don't know if y'all grew up in church, but Easter Sunday, so Easter Saturday. So Easter Sunday was a thing, but Easter Saturday, you had to be at church all day on a Saturday. Yeah. The egg hunting and mm-hmm. being outside and sweaty. Everybody know you got to get a relaxer like that day, that, like that night. <laughs> yes. So it's just like, also who thought of that? Because I've been sweating all day. No, I don't want to get no hair perm. But all that to say, I can think of these big events where it wasn't nothing but a bunch of black people coming together to probably eat some fish, eat some barbecue, and sit down outside, basically. But that coming together, Jordan, based on what you're saying, did not include non-straight folks. Or 
it included because uh, I can think of a couple of people that I know that were not straight that I grew up in church with, but it was it wasn't an opportunity to celebrate that coming together was never meant to celebrate anything that wasn't straight. So that informs a lot of what y'all do. Yes, it does. Because y'all are literally creating events for both of those identities to be celebrated mm-hmm. at the same time. Yes. Let the people know what y'all be doing. Because I've seen two things. Well, a few things, but I'm me. Let the people know that don't know. Um, well, we do, a, we do a number of things. Um, I speaking, in, speaking to that, I would say that one of the things that we do um, and it may be no, it may be knowingly or unbeknownst to a lot of people is we create safer spaces. I don't think a safe a space will ever be a hundred percent safe, not in patriarchy, um, not in a white supremacist culture in society, but we create safer spaces. We create spaces where if the most marginalized person or parts of our community, the Black femme, the Black trans, the gender non-conforming, the disabled, the poor, the fat, the, you know, if we create spaces that are safe for them, it will trickle out and everyone will feel safe. And that's really what the, what a lot of our work is, is, um, outside of like our direct services, our advocacy training, our research, our capacity building, we really work to create safer spaces. Those spaces that are safe for everyone to just be. I think that a lot of times in our community, um, and this is something that I've noticed, especially since I've moved to the South, is Black people do not get the opportunity to make mistakes. We are literally fighting and struggling to survive most times. Um, And then especially when we're talking about Black queer persons, oftentimes we are not afforded the opportunity to make mistakes and we are fighting to survive and oftentimes fighting to fit into a box that is is that was built to keep us and to restrict us and I think that at the normal anomaly the work that we do it's really about liberation it's about it's about freedom it's about breaking out of that box and just being whatever you want to be you know, whether you want to do A, B, C, or in between, or all of the above, um, I think it's really about freeing oneself to just exist and be. I think that Joel brings up a good point, because when she talks about the structure that has been built to keep us in this box, our goal is to break down those barriers and overcome them. So we have our direct services, such as our transportation services, and also our employment services. So that helps the most marginalized community reach the goals they need for sustainability. Um, Getting back and forth to your medical appointment. How can somebody ask you to stay into care if you can't even get to care? How can we ask you to ride the public transportation system when that's not safe for you to get to your appointment and also you fear for your life? Timeframes. The multiple appointments that you have to take because this actual um, care provider won't provide you with everything you need in one day. So you have to come back the next day. So it's a lot of different things that go on. And you can't even hold on to a job because you need to make your medical appointment. So our goal is just to listen to the individuals that we have coming to our space. And I say individuals because we do focus on the Black and queer, but we may get someone that comes to our center that may not fit inside of those parameters. Yeah. We're not going to turn you away. We're just going to make sure that we can help you. And if not, then connect you to an organization who can that's the major thing, you know, um, 
Our goal is to help you, not necessarily about a number. It's really about focus on how can we help you the best of our ability. Okay, so what have been, because I'm like, I'm trying to split my brain because me and you, we, you, for those who don't know, Joel and Jordan and I have all talked a few times, yes. but I don't think I've ever asked you, given the culture of Houston, both what Joel has spoken to, but also Jordan, what you've like lived through, what have been some of the hardest parts of just starting this work? Like you have a whole, or, like day night and the festival, those are like add-ons to what y'all do. Yeah. What are some of the like breaking ground issues that y'all have had to work with in given that you are in Houston? I would start by saying trust. Okay. The trust because having an organization that's built upon um, changing the narratives of individuals has to start with individuals wanting to share those stories with us so we can change that. And that's where I think it has been um, a little bit of a struggle because they don't trust organizations. They don't trust those types of, are you really going to help me? Or are you just act telling me you want to help me? Yeah. Um, and we're, we are the people that we serve. So we are for us, by us. So then stepping into an individual space, we're young individuals, stepping into a corporation and looking at us like, well, where's your ED? And our ED is right here, standing with tattoos on his leg. And then they're looking like, how can you really be an ED? Or how can you really be a director? And so how can you be someone in experience as far as your position? Those types of things have um, caused the barrier that we're hoping to break through and change that norm. So I think that's been um, a few things that I've seen. Yeah. Um, well, I, <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> Um, honestly, I think the hardest thing was to, I think it was to start, period. I think it was to see the light. There's so much work to be done yeah. and it's not easy work. And someone for me, like someone like me, who's lived in a place that I've seen how maybe it wasn't as liberated, but I've seen what liberation could look like if Black queer people just got a, a little bit of it and yep. experienced it. Um, to experience that and live it and then come here where in a place that is, you know, a little bit behind um, and doesn't necessarily have those tools, um, it's daunting. And even to be able to express um, what it could look like is it almost doesn't even seem real. Like it seems like it's fantasy. I, I talk to people and we have conversations and it seems fantastical. It doesn't even seem like it's attainable. Um, so I think for me, the hardest part was to see the light at the end and or see the light period and, and believe that we can attain something um, because it, it starting was hard starting was was very very hard knowing that it has to be done especially because a lot of the work that we do and a lot of the work that I do I do it out of necessity I do it because I need I need to do this like I need to experience this I need to be in community like this yeah. and I know that if I need it community needs it and others around me need it and so the hardest part has really just been 
starting and seeing the light because a lot of times it it wasn't easy when when we were starting. I think it's it's slowly starting to to get easier and it's slowly starting to shift. I think the festival was probably the first big shift that I experienced that made me know like, okay, like we can really do this. Like, you know, yeah. we, we really, we really are doing the work and in, in are seeing it in real time. But um, it's hard. I think it's hard to when, when community doesn't necessarily have the capacity or the language or even know that they need these spaces or need these yeah. things. Um, to to show them and to and to provide that um and to see the light because it, it it's been hard it definitely sounds like and tell me if this is what it feels like you it sounds like y'all are literally shifting a culture but by shifting it you're actually having to do the education component like you are also like yes. doing a certain type of like buy-in like mm-hmm. you like you like you're having to show people that this resource is necessary Yes. And I would say, let me just say, because I'm sure there's somebody at home like, man, look, gosh, that ain't my ministry. Yo, it's hard enough, like Joe was saying, starting. And then when you have to convince somebody that what you're starting is a necessity, even though deep down you know, that's so much labor, like emotional mm-hmm. labor. Yeah, it is. It is. But there was something that you brought up that I did want to ask you about. Y'all don't do everything. So Mm -hmm. uh, how did you kind of make some distinctions around like, okay, that's the work that I did. This is the work that we're going to do as an organization. And this is the work we're not going to do as an organization. Focus on doing everything can cause burnout and it can cause you to lose focus on your mission and your vision. Yeah. So I think that us staying focused on what we do and make sure that we do that well We'll ensure that our products and our services are as efficient as it needs to be to serve the population. And it also is that there's so much um, that can be done. So there's enough space for everyone. You know, we don't all have to do everything to make sure everybody can come and be a catch all. Some individuals have some things that they do well. We have things that we do well. So we want to ensure that they can do their things well and we can do our things well. So I think that's where the distinction comes in so we can stay focused on our mission and vision. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, to Jordan's point, it's not to say that we don't want to do it all because some, yeah. sometimes we try. Yeah. Sometimes we, yeah. over, we definitely overshoot and we, we try to overachieve. But I really think, um, like Jordan said, um, we, we try to just stay true to what we do, which at times is hard. And it, it's, got, it gets a little, it's getting a little easier, um, but it's really just being focused and knowing that the key is we are not doing this work alone. We're in community with yes. many people doing this work. And we are in, in partnership and we're in collaboration and we're, you know, in community with a lot of organizations and people that do the work. And I think that we relying on community and leaning on them when we need them and, and, and really knowing that we are all are fighting the same fight together. And, you know, what we don't do, we know someone that can do that, that does. So just knowing that we have those relationships and those partnerships are really important. Um, and it lets us know that we don't have to do it all. Yeah, yeah. We look, I always say, like, if y'all burn out, then like what was it worth? Like I always, especially because I feel like I'm always in spaces with leaders like y'all. And I'm like, 
to see y'all sustain yourselves is a testament to that the work is not only good, but it's sustaining. But if I never get to see the other side, like if none of y'all make it past 40, I'm going to be over here like, oh, I quit because I promise you. <laughs> because I'm cute. So if somebody's sitting at home and they're like, okay, I'm thinking about coming to normal, normal anomaly. What are the things that we can like list out to say, this is our scope of practice. And then maybe some things that are like, okay, no, that's not our scope of practice. Well, I can say that one thing that we don't directly do is housing. So a lot of times individuals think that it's um, LGBT organization, I need to go housing, housing, housing. Um, although we know that housing is one of the largest um, barriers for the LGBT community, yeah. we don't directly have housing. Now we are connected with organizations who do have housing and we're in conversations with them to see how can we refer individuals to them and make that connecting factor. Yeah. Um, also an informed individual. So, we actually have um, transportation services that we can provide as far as getting someone to their medical appointments. And we can talk about what medical means. They can reach out to us on our website. Um, we can get them to their job interview. And we also can talk about if there's any other thing that we can provide as far as transportation, they can contact us because we're making some changes within that. Um, we also have our employment services that we can provide. We're helping them find um, sustainable employment. Yeah. And we also have like our date night. So I know we've been talking about it and tipping around date night, but we do provide that. Um, and date night, y'all, it stands for disseminating advocacy, testing, and education. Yeah. Um, you can get a date there if you want to get a date, but it's really Man, tough. let's <laughs> talk about it. I, I told Joelle this. Look. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Great segue, y'all. Yes. Let's talk. Listen to me. Y'all already know what pond I swim in. So I'm not mm -hmm. even going to go there. That said, uh -huh. I got to work with Joel and Jordan. What was it? Two months ago during Black History Month and Day Night. God, it was hey. two. Honey, honey, when I say I that many of the sexiest people in the room, no, they were not my pond. That's not my ministry. However, if I had to go to become a deacon on that board, <laughs> I would think it was the Lord's work because it was, it was some bodies in there. Like, oh. it was, it was, it definitely it was. was. <laughs> and it was packed. It was packed. It was packed. And I mean, there were options. There were talls. There were shorts. There were thick thighs. There were small thighs. There was fat ass. There was small ass. There was big feet. There was small hands. I was like, oh, damn, that's what we do? Ooh. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And they're you know, all behind. Mm -hmm. And they wasn't even really part of our, our direct circle. Like, we had so many people come in that we have never seen before yeah. or haven't had any type of connections and relationships with. So it was an amazing experience to see all that walk through the door. I know, right? Talk about a site, a site after a long shift. Yes. We were grateful. But before we go to day night, I want to ask you, to, it is tourist season mm -hmm. and we are going through an eclipse season. And as y'all know, I do astrology. Um, and you have mentioned that it, like this is real work. You just did a festival. I've done large events like this. What has been outside of the work? 
what have been some of your pleasure practices, some of your like re-nourishing, thinking about like watering a plant, like how have you been receiving or taking in nutrients as you give out so much? <laughs> um are we talking about directly right after the festival we're talking about throughout because y'all do this work 365 but specifically if it has changed given that you did the festival i'm down Uh, but yeah um, there has there hasn't hasn't been anything lately um just because of the the magnitude of the festival and then coming off of the festival it was actually not just a festival it was a weekend of events um with the festival kind of being the center of the weekend um we had a butch queen brunch um we also had a reception where we partnered with houston splash um houston black gay pride so it was a, a it was a very full weekend um and coming off of that weekend, we actually had two things that we are preparing to do, which coming right off the weekend, we were preparing our office loop because we're moving into a bigger office space and we're preparing the launch of our new research program that we're doing. So personally and, and still on festival mode, like we're still on post-festival mode, which is it's actually you know, it's not as slow as people think. It's actually still going. Yeah. So um, haven't had much time. This coming weekend, I thought I was going to lock myself away, but I'm I'm not sure if that's going to happen this weekend just because I'm seeing some stuff pop up. Um, but I'm planning to lock myself away at least for one day um, okay. in complete darkness and just stay in my bed and watch and watch netflix i have a ton of i have a list of shows i need to watch um but yeah have not engaged in much self-care i know that it's not great during mental health awareness week uh month but and it's may masturbation month like we look this is a very special month it is an invitation and it's and it's tourist season i mean so so for masturbation month that's that's throughout the year for me, so we're good on that. But uh-huh. we also have we also have for me for self-care. Uh, I actually got into walking and trying different parks out mm-hmm. and just doing that type of like um foot to the ground, being outside, clear my head type of space. Yeah. And I like going to um I constantly go like to animal shelters and like play with the animals, and that kind of gets me like in a space of um feeling connected to something that doesn't have to answer to me and I don't have to answer to it yeah, yeah. and so that gets me in a space so I can just like shut my brain off I don't really have to answer to nothing I can just be in here and be in space um because working in community you have to answer to or you have to show up as you have to present as and I think that that can be um taxing without you even having to try to be yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are like my two, and I'm creative, so I paint, I make things all the time with my hands. So, um, but that can also be um, drink. So I, sometimes I try to, yeah. let me just, you know, be with nature. Yeah, yeah. Has it been, hmm, has it been difficult to center a certain erotic embodiment, whatever that means to you, given the work that you do? And specifically, I'm also thinking about how visible you are like Joel I saw you at Target and I knew <laughs> who you were I'm like everyone knows everyone yes. knows and <laughs> the work that you do um 
and the real safety, like I am not unaware about like the real safety issues that come with specifically in being in Houston. Has it been difficult to center whatever you think erotic embodiment means? Or what have been some of the difficulties if there are any? Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> all, of, all of that. Um, for me, um, it is really difficult to have an open sexual um, type of anything in Houston. I don't think I've really had one that was healthy since I moved here. Um, and that's very challenging because coming from a place like LA, um, which is very open sexually, I mean, you could really just, it, it, it honestly, it really doesn't, really doesn't matter. I mean, they, you know, they have sex parties for trans women that are centered around trans women. Um, mm -hmm. Something I've never seen, um, you know, and of course they have sex parties that are openly, but I've never seen a, a sex party that was openly centered around trans women and that was safe. Yeah. So coming from a city like that, that embraces open queer sexuality to a city that is very much rooted in white supremacy and patriarchy, when, and especially when we're talking about sexuality and, and gender roles and, and, and sexual orientation, um, it's not safe. It's actually, um, and it's something that I, I still continue to work through is how to have an open, healthy, sexual anything yeah. as a black woman of trans experience um because i haven't i haven't found the answer to that yet yeah. um and i'm not even sure if there is an answer yeah. um so i'm ex exploring other things personally but i know for me um it's it's definitely been very very challenging especially because i'm so used to being so open about it open in a healthy sexual manner but i've moving to Houston, I've seen that a lot of our Black queer community is just rooted in the same shit that straight people are rooted in. And it's actually worse in our community. It's actually far worse. Um, because in a straight community um, and in straight circles, I operate as just a Black woman. Yeah. So even, even though that's problematic, but I operate as a Black woman. And in queer spaces, I'm really not anything. So it's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. So I uh, have been on the other side of the spectrum. I've been having a lot of um, sexual experiences. So I am. I think it's different for me because, as Joelle talked about, the community is so femphobic that I think that that can cause it to be where there's not enough safe spaces in those areas. So I haven't been to a sex party in a while, but I do frequent cruising spots, sex parties, things like that, because those interest me. I am not ashamed of that. And I think that the image of who I am as a person, as far as position or platform, can cause that to be like, how dare you do that? You can't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think that, or you can't speak around sex, sexual health and safety when you're out doing these types of things. When I can say that that is sexual health and it is sexual safety because it's understanding right. who I am, how I navigate yeah. um, and being true to that. So um, the it's also being recognized when I'm in those spaces. So 
that's different. It, it can be a dark room when they're like, oh, I Black Jesus is, is in here. So that's what the community calls me, Black Jesus. Don't really know how I feel about being called that in these spaces, but that's what people are saying. So it's, we just don't go. mad jokes, so we'll get into those. We're going to talk about that. So, um, but I think that I'm learning that I have to first learn that I'm doing this for me and I enjoy the space yeah. versus it being a necessary action because I need to um, please people as far as the community see us. So I think that that's the shift that I've learned, especially when learning through date night as we're growing through that, it's okay to like what you like and do what you do. Yeah. I'm giving myself consent to let that be okay. So. Yeah. And for those who are listening, I know that because we've been doing this erotic embodiment practice for a small bit of time. Um, I always tell people that erotic embodiment is a real spectrum. Like for me, it includes grief and like really being open and honest about like loss and fears and eulogizing what I've lost in addition to things that are sexual like masturbating and toys and that makes me actually think more about what I'm hearing both both of you articulate is this issue around safety which I do think can uh um, shout out to Renee of Embodied Astrology who talks about how there there so like there's trauma and then there's imagination And I think imagination is super pleasurable, right? But when you have certain traumatic experiences, it can prevent you from feeling safe in your body, which then limits how pleasurable you can be or how imaginative you can be. And that shifts your ability to be in community, that shifts your ability to create events because it is literally you not being safe in your own body, which then makes everything a little bit more difficult. Joelle, you said something to the, you literally said the words in queer spaces, you are nothing. Oh yeah. Say more about that. What do you mean? Um, it, you know, to be to be very blunt and frank, I don't feel like I am seen or visible in in black queer spaces. I think that I am not whole. I think that I am either a psychic or I am a, a companion. I am a trophy. I am objectified. I am fetishized. I am picked apart. I am tokenized. Um, I am not enough. You know, I don't measure up. It's passability politics. It's respectability politics. But I don't feel seen. Um, and that is also part of the reason why I feel like you know, outside of the work, I, I tend to struggle navigating community. Um, and also why outside of Houston, I don't have that problem because I'm seen, I'm not seen for anything other than Joel. I just, you know, I didn't have that problem in LA. I don't have that problem when I'm in St. Louis visiting family or friends. I don't have that problem when I'm traveling to a new place. But it's something about being in Houston and immersed in our Black queer community which is so rich that I don't feel seen and I feel very much invisible and I think that it also plays into how I feel just when it, when we talk about sexuality and, and being a sexual person I don't feel like I even have a sex if that's if that even makes sense I just feel like I'm just this like void and I'm just here and I just kind of fill whatever space people try to assign me or whatever identity they they assign me and then I'm just I'm gone like I don't really feel that 
type of intimacy or that type of vulnerability or connection. Yeah, yeah. It, it we uh I have this thing about there's this story um well and and it's perfect because Joel I know Joel you're a Scorpio. I am. <laughs> so uh, if y'all keep listening to the podcast uh, as Scorpio season gets closer, I will tell the story of Anana Narashka Gale. But very quickly, I will tell you that Joel, there's a story called it's a Sumerian myth. It's the story of Anana Narashka Gale, and uh, one of my favorite parts of the story is uh the little gallo are these uh little people that come down to save anana but to to get arashka gale to wake up they echo her so arashka gale says oh my back and the little gallo say oh your back and they go back and forth and say oh my back oh my back oh my toe oh my toe oh my toe and i always uh talk about that story as this as a, a symbolism for like the value of the echo Mm-hmm. And I think the work that both of you do, and the reason why I wanted to work with y'all so much is because it does provide this echo for people that may never hear it if you don't do anything. But mm-hmm. on the flip side of that, I want to press that like, I also see the ways that because you guys are leaders in this field, you also need the echo too. And I feel like I feel like that's why I do the work that I do because I like talking to y'all because I'm like okay well let me give to the people that are literally giving to so many because that feels like my work because yeah like again if y'all don't make it to fifty <laughs> and I don't need you just barely making it to fifty with one edge holding on <laughs> and one shoelace lost in the sauce like I want you to be fine and fabulous and fucking if that's what you want to do like. Well, I'm close. I'm I'm inching towards forty, so I'll let you know because I'm, I'm inching towards forty. Look, you already know I'm gonna be like, Joe. Do you need something? You in a book or something? Just let me know because yeah, the same way that y'all are providing that village care, I also want to just again press that you also need it too. Hello. Yeah. I think it's you know the the crazy thing is is as we're doing the work and doing the work of liberation I think the our needs become our needs shift and they change and I think the challenge is is figuring out how to satisfy those needs um in that shift because I even know personally I actually had a conversation with a friend last night and I was talking to her and it was a very 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 impassioned conversation (laughs) and (laughs) I was talking about what my needs were and yeah. she was not get like she was not understanding it. She was just like, I'm not, I don't get it. Like, why do you not need what you know, what all women or what all you know, black trans women or you know? And I was like, that's not where I am. I'm in, I'm in a very different place in my life. Like I was there, yeah. and I'm not saying yeah. there's nothing wrong with being there. And I think that we all deserve all the things. Yeah. But I, what my needs are in the moment just are not that. Yeah. And what seems like random to other people like really like that's what you need like those are the things that you're seeking from people and from community um they seem very random and like nuanced to people but that's kind of doing the work and being in community I'm like it's actually not much but they're big things that surprisingly you cannot get um very easily so it's very interesting when we're talking about just like satisfying needs and doing the work and how our needs 
tend to shift and change and evolve as yeah. we're doing the work. Because doing the work in community is really us doing the work inward as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I was literally journaling this week, and I was um, because <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm dating, if you will. And, oh, and I love you know, a little something, little something, but you know, me twenty when I was like when I was twenty three, and I was newly queer, and I was still living in New York, and I had a very small. I wouldn't say small. I had a very narrow understanding of community, but I also can be very Capricorn-y. And I just, I couldn't expand in ways that made me think, oh, community was necessary. I, I, I just fresh out of college and you know, with college, it really is like every man for him, every person for themselves, right? Like I'm, I graduated with honors. I don't know what you're doing, but this is what I did. And so when I was 23, I just, I remember having these moments where I had to really sit down with myself and say, Katie, my darling, and I had to talk to myself really soon and be like, babe, you need people. You're acting like you don't, but I'm telling you, you really do. And my whole body would just be like, okay, okay. <laughs> and so, but that shit, but you know, being in that headspace, that shifted all of the relationships I was in because going into relationships with that, with that mindset, <laughs> community was a hard pill for me to swallow. Whereas now I'm 28. I work in very community-oriented spaces. And it's actually been kind of dope because then when I started, when I start to date, I'm like, I have a pretty tight web. Like you're coming into a situation where I've actually kind of started to build my little sense of self. And so where I may have like clung to a partner before or relied on certain people in certain ways. Now I'm in this other space where I'm like, oh no, I like you. And this is the needs that I need you to fulfill. But there are a whole other bu bucket of needs that like, yeah, like you knew I got old people that's next to you. Chef was having this conversation with someone. Literally, I was talking about how people, I think, and it's it's rooted in cis hat white patriarchy. This this oh. notion that of uh, intimate sexual relationship with one partner is going to sustain you that is what you are seeking um to be very honest i think that is what a lot of cis -het black women fall into but that's another story for another day but um i think that for me what i learned and i think what i'm starting to experience is like i have the dopest friends i have the dopest best friends I could literally be on I literally was on the phone with one of my best friends I was on the phone with him for eight hours one day Come literally on. and I think that because I have these amazing relate these amazing friendships and not even friendships but they're like a step above friendship like they're like these soul ties and these have these amazing friendships and soul ties and relationships that sustain me and fill me up that when it comes to intimacy um in 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 that form um it's it's hard for people to fathom that i'm filled up in my relationships already that yeah. i have needs that they can fulfill but it's not the needs that, that one would think yeah. and it's like i am looking for like a partner or someone you know like that but i'm not looking for 
you don't need to pay to fly me out. You don't need to fuck me crazy. Like I've had, I've been there. I've done that. I've had yeah. that. I can get yeah. that. But it's like there's there are these other needs, and I think pe- people tend to not put value to those friendships okay. and those soul ties and those relationships that are not immediately intimate or sexual. People tend to not put value in. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Touch on that real quick. Um, I, I have to get some water. I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> yes. you do not have water. And always like y'all know. I'm, y'all see me sipping. Like, grab yes. water, please. I think that people tend to follow something they don't understand, mm-hmm. and I'm using that as a space to talk about. This is what a relationship is supposed to be like. So this is A to Z. This is your instructions. This is what you follow. Go ahead. Yeah. And it's like reading Ikea's instructions. I don't know what it says, and I don't know what to do. And if you do it and flip it on the other side, you can do it the opposite way. So I think that understanding that a relationship is built on communication is an important piece. Communicate with your partner to talk about what is it that you want. If you want to have multiple partners, what does that look like? Are you telling me, are you going to cheat on me? That's not what I said. I said that I like to have multiple sexual partners. And sex, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't want to have penetrative sex with nobody. I just want to like lay up with somebody or I want to walk around the park naked with them or I want to give head. Yeah. Whatever it is you want to do, communicate yeah. that very clearly to see where you stand. you be like, oh, well, I'm good with that. Yeah. I'm good with you and I sharing the financial bounds. And I don't want to be intimate because I may be asexual. So yeah. then I'm going to allow you to go out to the community and do what you want to do sexually and come back home and we got this conversation. Let's talk about it. Because that may arouse me. That may stimulate me, the fantasy of what my partner is doing. So those relationships look different. Yeah. And I think that that's where um, we lose or people get stuck into something which can then cause abuse, which can then cause dysfunctions, which can then cause you to be depressed or suicidal. All those things can stem from you just not communicating about what you really want and being true to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like where you both are articulating because it's going to make a great segue to date night mm-hmm. which i'll just go ahead and segue so that was a big reason why i love date night and keep in mind y'all i told you all this but jordan you weren't there i was so so <laughs> okay let me go let me go backwards so what i love about date night and also what i love what you're both articulating is this idea of self-determination like you get to determine what you have access to and I think as someone that did identify straight, but now that I don't, I think that's actually one of the best parts of being of identifying as queer because I'm entering all of my relationships, be they familial, platonic, or romantic, and being like, look, this is going to be centered with me in mind, or it's only a matter of time for I'm not going to be here. And that yeah. feels very liberating for me now. So let me tell y'all what happened. So for those who are listening, yes, I like sexual partners with vulvas i cannot express this enough uh i am not a vulva discriminant <laughs> like uh, i guess do i have preferences sure but that's what i'm looking for so when we got to go to date night i was so excited i was like oh my gosh we're gonna talk about all the things it's gonna be great and keep in mind joel and jordan notice i love talking about sex yes yeah. let's talk about it let's get into it all the things, tools, tips, tricks, all the things. So Joel and Jordan sent me the, uh, what's it called? Like the run of show to like talk about the things. And I looked at all the scenarios and we were all, all of them were penis centric. And I was like, oh my God, 
this is not what I thought was gonna happen. And I was like crying at work. You should have gave us feedback. You should have gave us the feedback. No, and I and I and I and this is actually a really good thing because I'm like, well, I'm glad we're talking this out because especially now that I did the date night, I do feel pretty good. I say like between 70 and 90 percent good about understanding that like this information may not center me, but that doesn't mean that it's not super necessary. And when I look out, especially being queer or lesbian, depending on what I identified that day um, in Houston there are a lot of folks with penises. And when I talk to other folks with vulvas about the queer scene in Houston, the majority of it is is folks with penises. And so I I was just like, okay. And I've done this before with other events with Kendra stories. Like just because I'm not the key demographic doesn't mean that I don't empathize with that demographic. And so it it means a lot to me to just be a part of the conversation because I know that that's a resource that somebody needs. And at the end of the day, that's the kind of community work I'm interested in. And I had a great time. Y'all well, like- also, and I think one great thing is, is because it's a, it's kind of a skeleton, like we pick whoever for the examples, like it'll say, you know, a hetero partner, but we'll pick two femme identifying persons because it's like, you know, we're picking two people and we're leaving it to them to imagine the story. And then we bring it back to the theme. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think that people, what we try to do is even if there's one primary demographic, we try to get all participants of day night to expand themselves and be comfortable not being comfortable. Be comfortable in a situation that maybe you would normally see yourself in but it you could still very much relate to and yeah. The scenari- yeah and the scenarios in the role plays change and also using different individuals to fill a role also allows us to see their perception of what it means to be yeah. that expression yeah. and so um that allows for us to say okay you know let's talk about that stigma language let's talk about yeah. what it really means or let's hear from someone who may been in that situation and that starts the dialogue and the conversation because the scenarios are not necessarily built on our personal experiences. They're yeah. just something that's pulled together and made into something. And then it's very um, a baseline to then let them disseminate and choose how they want the story to go. We actually, um, one of our first date nights we had, we did a role play. Yeah. And it was about um, two people at a bar and one was picking up the other. Yeah. Because um, it was about consent. And we flipped the gender roles with the two participants and they were both at first like well I don't like this isn't like what I would normally do a little uncomfortable for them Mm -hmm. and then like we did the role play and we were very curious about how they did the role play so we asked we were like why did you do the role play like that yeah and they said well this is how I would like to be approached Mm -hmm. this is how I would like to be talked to and it was very very interesting and it led to this really beautiful conversation about gender roles within community, what, how we show up and what we would like to be and how we would like to be seen. So I think people, people go into situations thinking one way, but the beautiful thing about our date nights, specifically our role plays that we do in, in date night is they're very organic. They, they tend to yes. have a life of their own. Yes. Yes. And they tend to 
spark these amazing conversations that we a lot of times don't even we're out of them like we gotta cut them because it's like okay it's it's beautiful but y'all still gone and I want to bring up I don't even know if I'd ever told y'all this so y'all the last date night there was a role play exercise with a sex worker and their sex workers Uh client Mm -hmm. and I don't even remember word for word what the sex worker said, but it brought up a conversation around transaction and money and boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if y'all thought about this, but as I'm listening to them role play, I'm literally thinking about, yo, this conversation is super applicable to being an employee anywhere. Mm-hmm. It brought up the idea that like, because I gave you this money, I am now entitled to whatever you ask for. And I was just sitting there and I was just like, yo, how many times have I gone in for a job interview, got the job and the circuit, like the, whatever we agreed to in my original role has Mm -hmm. now drastically shifted now that I'm on payroll. And they're basically saying, but we, like, I definitely remember having a conversation with somebody. Well, you're full time now. Are you really going to basically rustle feathers? Because you have a basically you have a lot to lose now because at the before mm-hmm. that I was part time, and I remember sitting at day night and I was like, "Yo, I don't know if everybody's thinking about this, but like you said, it." And this is why I love the conversation around erotic embodiment and sex education because so much of it actually is not about sex; it's actually about like bodily autonomy and feeling like you can communicate. Hey, this is how far your dollar goes. Well, I think, and I think that when we're talking about, especially when we're talking about sexual liberation, sexual liberation is not about sex at all. Like in sex, a lot of times it's not about sex. Like people immediately jump to the sex, but it's actually not. It is about body autonomy. It's about power. It's about personal, like it's about um, interpersonal connections. And like, it's, it's about those things. The sex is usually the last thing that it's about. Um, and I and it was funny because that role play was about sex and consent. Well, or it was about sex and it was about like a sex worker, but the conversation went to consent, it went to boundaries, it went to yeah. power dynamics. Yeah. So I think what it, what we tend to see is when we're talking about sex and having these conversations about sex, usually sex might be the icing but the cake is made out of a lot of other stuff yeah 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 and that's why and then so so that okay so like that all of it of itself is like amazing but Mm -hmm. then on top of that what I was so grateful for y'all let me come in and talk about books of course of course And that was just amazing for me because, yeah, these are things that I think about all the time. And also, I don't know if I even told y'all this, but date night is literally like a PD. It's that, or it's almost identical. Shout out to Hedrick Martin Institute, who I'd done training with before. It's almost identical to that training, but it's so much more, I think, accessible. And so mm-hmm. when I think about the fact that y'all are doing real liberation work, the fact that you make it a date night, there's there's always cocktails, maybe there's some snacks, folks is feeling loosey and goosey. It really, really, again, like I was saying earlier, you're shifting a culture and you're creating access and educational resources that are necessary in all realms and it's free. 
Yeah. So, and I do want to give some context to people listening about date night. Yeah. Um, so date night actually comes from M groups and it comes from scientific research that shows that if you teach safer sex to people or to community, the people that you teach it to in turn disseminate that information to their communities and then their communities in turn disseminate that information so mm -hmm. it was proven to actually work but it was proven with black queer men yeah and when or black gay men rather yeah. and when we started doing it at the normal anomaly we you know we were like that's not inclusive <laughs> definitely not inclusive I'm definitely do not want to do something where I'm the only woman and it's you know and also I think it's something that is very applicable to everyone not just yeah. you know not just black gay and queer men and not even just the queer community but I okay. we had or I will say that a lot of people that come to date night are cis have women yeah and they hear things and they get knowledge and they learn things that they would have never learned um, exactly. any other time. Um, and I could say this because I'm pretty sure she wouldn't care. Um, but my sister, she came today night and never even knew that women needed to get tested for anything. Yeah. Never heard that before. Never knew it. And after going to date night a couple of times, she came to me and told me that she got tested for the first time and how excited she was to, and then like how we brought my other sister and how, you know, they were having dialogue at date night about inclusive language and about safer sex practices. So it really, what date night is showing us or what we've seen is that it's really applicable to everyone in community. And what we're doing is we're creating these safer spaces for everyone in community, allies, community adjacent to have these conversations about sex. Yeah. And I think too, what I am thinking about, I don't know if y'all saw this clip that had went around, because Jordan, you spoke to this earlier, but I just want to bring it back to just put it in perspective. There's this, this video, and I don't, I forget the organizer, but shout out to Bryson Rose, who works at HMI. They put it in their story. And it's this woman, she's saying, uh, she's talking about, just some of the issues that come up with queer spaces, like uh, substance use, like depression, like suicide. And she argues that the one of the biggest things that can aid in prevention of that is community, is having spaces where you can articulate that maybe you wanna be touched with a feather and not with a pillowcase, or maybe you do wanna be choked and not caressed or maybe you don't want to be touched at all and you just want to see that like again going back to this echo analogy to have a space where you come in and you say oh I want this and they're like yeah you want that yeah. no that work is revolutionary it's quite simple but it is it, it like Joel you were saying earlier it literally makes such a huge impact in terms of overall health and safety and just longevity mm -hmm. lives and, and, and their ability to thrive in the ways that make sense to them. I'm, I'm, I'm always enrolled in this work, always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I think about 
you know, without it, how many people go without seeing themselves reflected? And sometimes seeing yourself reflected is literally the the, the difference between thriving and not. Yeah, I think that that's where date night has become more than we can even think because we even went to Lee College in Baytown and had date night there. And yeah. now they want to come twice. Is it twice a month? Twice a month. Twice a, a month. month. Twice a month. To provide date nights to them and their students. And I think that we, we are radical with the, the words that we use on purpose because these are the things that people use. Um, yeah. And I think that being very strategic around being having representation and reaching the community on that level is important. Because yeah. if you come to me talking about a penis and a vagina, I may not want to, I'm going to understand about it, but we're going to say other words as well because that works. Yeah. And um, you can then like you say something and be like, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. Why not? Let's talk about why you feel you shouldn't say yeah. that. Let's break that yeah. down. Yeah, That's really opening the space for people to be like, you know what? I want to come back to date night. I'm going to call my yeah. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cause and something that just crossed my mind, and I'm I'm curious if y'all have thought about this, but therapy is expensive. Mm-hmm. And first, I am somebody that has gone to therapy. I've been in therapy twice before. Not only is it expensive, um, and y'all know, well, I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm a dancer. And those listening, y'all already know I do a lot of stuff. So therapy makes sense, I think, in certain seasons for me, but not in all seasons. And then even when I was in therapy, uh, I have this book, which I put in the show notes called With Pleasure. And even the book, they say like, Therapy is not enough. This is one person that you talk to for maybe an hour, maybe two hours, and it's one person. Whereas with date night, you are like, I can't just stories. I want to say there were 30 of us. And it's really funny because- Almost 30. Yeah, yeah. it was almost 30. Yeah. is not a big bookstore. She is fly and she is mighty, but in terms of square feet, she's not that big. And we were in, we were yeah. in there. We weren't even outside. <laughs> We were inside. And so, yeah, thinking about for those who are might be in therapy, but are looking for complimentary practices. I do think this is a space for that because you have some of the same. I don't think you or I don't think either of you are telling people what they should and should not do. But Mm -hmm. you are creating a space for people to express what they want to do and for it to be affirmed. And I think that that's just as necessary and can be super helpful especially like if you can't afford therapy and, or if you are just not ready to go to therapy, I, yeah, it's like a good, like pleasure chest, something to pull from. I have two things on that. One, um, a lot of times individuals, organizations come to you and tell you what you should do, what you shouldn't mm-hmm, do, mm-hmm. what safe sex looks like without talking to you and letting you make your own decisions. Our mm-hmm. goal is to help you to be able to think and captivate and build language for your own communication and consent. And um, the other piece is that we actually had a conversation yesterday with um, an individual who is a part of the Outlet Project by the name of Adrian and Matt. And so they actually provide mental health services. So we're talking about a possible collaboration as well, putting those two together. So when we get more information, we'll let the people know because I don't want to give them anything. We'll have all things called out. be looking for the mental health piece to be entered into date night at some point in time. Yeah. And so just to get the nuts and bolts, day mm-hmm. night is May 14th at, did we say seven? Seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. seven, seven and it's at Kendra Stories, right across the street from Emancipation Park. Um, 
I'm just super grateful that I get to facilitate this conversation with y'all but also just like have y'all on this show I just you know as a Houston girl I always tell the story of I was raised very religious and my mom was not with the shit she was like uh no we're not doing that (laughs) we're not we're not and I know for a really long time I worried and in some ways I still do worry about being my full self in Houston. Mm-hmm. So I went to Joel, for those who don't know, I used to live in Brooklyn. And when you black and gay in Brooklyn, I feel like you are part of the Mecca because really and truly like black gay Brooklyn is a whole different understanding. And so moving back here, yeah, I have like fears. I wonder like, do I look too gay? Do I mm-hmm. look gay enough so that the fish will bite? Um, and then I worry about like they're just genuine things like I worry about access I worry like you know will people say something to me or will like you know people give me shit in ways that I'm just not accustomed to and so getting to do these events with y'all getting just to know that y'all exist it definitely like soothes a certain like little Katie because I don't know where y'all was when I was 16 but y'all went close enough and so now you know I think I I I um I feel the same exact way. I think that part of it is normalizing the normal anomaly, um, but creating like normalizing our black queerness, like just being out. And it's not always safe. It's not always easy. It's not always great. Um, it's not glamorous to just you know normalize just going to the store and walking out. I know a lot of I know a lot of Black women of trans experience do not leave the house before night. They absolutely do not leave the house before night. Um, Out of safety, out of that's what they were taught, out of, you know, out of just, that's just how life has always been. And I think in order to change that narrative and create that new normal, we have to show that we are here, like we are present. We do things like go to the grocery store. We have jobs. We take public transportation. We go to these events. We have sex. We, you know, talk about sex, not in an objectifying and fetishizing way. Like we are those things, all of them. We encompass some of them. Like we we are all things. And I think that that's really what, what is going to be the continued work and challenge that we have to do is just continuing to create and recreate that new normal that includes and centers, you know, them them identifying persons, Black trans women, like gender non-conforming, you know, non-binary persons, Black queer people, like really centering us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just happy that I get to be a part of it with y'all. We're we're community. Of course you are. Yes. And I've been like dropping little tidbits, but Joelle and I talked about this. Oh, the three of us talked about it. We might be doing a little skate something, pull up something. We got to figure out some details. I'm telling y'all now. I think I want to get brunch bus a part of it, but maybe we need to find someone like really queer because the brunch bus do got that cashier that I do think it's just women in my pond, but I don't know about the owner. So I'm like, maybe, but I'm letting y'all know now, whatever mm-hmm. queer skate thing we do, 
I need there to be some food there because I be. Oh hungry. yeah, there definitely gotta be some food because there's gonna be some alcohol, so I need yeah. some food. Look, look, I don't know if we gotta get permits, but that's what I'm manifesting as we are under eclipse season, under Mercury retrograde season, under tourist season. Before we go, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with the people? Start out, sorry. Um, I just want to just share with the people that we, the, the normal anomaly does a lot of amazing things. Jordan touched on a lot of our direct services. We do many things outside of that. We do capacity building, advocacy training, research, um, to find out everything that we do. You can definitely visit our website, normalanomaly.org. Um, you can find us on social media. Um, we are underscore normal anomaly on Twitter. We are the normal anomaly on Instagram and Facebook, um, but really to just see a lot of the of the work that we do because we have some really amazing programs and cool things coming up. Really check out our website and really subscribe so that that way you can be the first to know when we have exciting programs launching, great community events, our next date nights, and just find out where we're at. Yes, and all of that will be in the show notes. So y'all better follow. Okay, Jordy. Yeah, so I think that people listening have the opportunity to make a change for themselves. And so reaching out to us can also allow us to be able to make change in the community because there may be some things where we may be looking to do that we need to know that there's a there's a space for that there's a niche for that so as we expand because we're going to expand because we're moving fast um we always talk about building the plane as we're flying it but we're we're doing pretty well with that i think that the um the main thing that i want to say that because we are for us by us we want to ensure that those individuals feel seen and represented so um just know that we're here to support you and we mean what we say yeah yeah I hope to see y'all come through at date night. Yes. May 14th. Pull up. If you have any questions, you can always DM me. I'm going to put all Joel and Jordan's information in the show notes. So you can also DM them. Um, but thank you so much for this conversation, you two. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. I hope this conversation inspires you, motivates you to be your best erotic self. Have a great day. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.